waving. In the background, you hear Bruce Coburn's Stolen Land. This is the Cal Jower, and I'm Chris Skyhawk. Thanks for Rich for being here and helping helping the, with the engineering tonight. Tonight, we are going to be having a couple of guests on. We're going to be talking about Line 3, which is a, a massive pipeline project. They are proposing to bring tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada, down to global markets through Minnesota. A number of people are coming together to try and resist this project. We have some of them on the phone with us here tonight. But it will be a, a large collaboration of First Nations people with climate activists because the potential to put the climate past the tipping point if this project goes through is very, very real. So tonight I have, we'll have two guests on from the East Point, East Point Peace Academy. Let's bring up uh, Astrid Cambridge. Astra, you're on the phone with us tonight? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Chris. Good evening, Astra. Thank you for being with us. Astra, can you tell us about a little bit about the East Point Peace Academy? I'd like to t let people know a little bit about that before, before we dive into Line 3 issues so people will be aware of your organization. Yeah. So East Point Peace Academy is a nonprofit based in Ohlone Territory, also called Oakland, and we're mainly a training organization that's uh, working with incarcerated populations also the larger public. Um, over the years, we've uh, organized countless workshops to train people in the nonviolent tradition of uh, movement building of uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi and other nonviolent um, activists. And uh, with COVID happening, our work has changed. Um, we've been focusing mainly on bringing uh, speakers that can continue talking about uh, the challenges that these times are bringing and how nonviolence can be a, a helpful tool as well as principle for ways of life um, for people who are wanting to act at the intersection of racial reparation and climate justice. And in particular, we're focusing on the building of the yet-to-be-named network, which uh, is a network that wants to draw in people who have an interest in direct action um, really supporting, again, that racial uh, reparation and climate justice and uh, that wants to really act on the ground, which is why Line 3 is the focus of ours at the moment. Well, thank you very much. Astrid, maybe, but maybe you could tell listener, listeners a little bit about Line 3 and what that's about. Yeah, so uh, Line 3 is a is the name of a pipeline that's going from Alberta, Canada, and going through different states, including Minnesota. Uh, Enbridge is the oil company that's uh, building that replacement pipeline. Line 3 is actually an existing corridor, oil corridor, and one portion of that corridor is uh, currently um, has issues that Enbridge is not uh, wanting to repair. And so they're building a replacement uh, pipeline that's bigger than the original one. And uh, that pipeline has a capacity to transport tar sand coming from Alberta, Canada, um, if, which, uh, if it was burnt, would be uh, creating emissions that are the equivalent of 50 coal-fired power plants the issue with that pipeline is not only that it's uh, carrying tarsen, which is an extremely dirty energy-like um, source, but it's also going through indigenous territories, um, especially um, um, Anishinaabe uh, territories, where 
uh, treaties actually uh, protect the land and allow um, indigenous people to cultivate wild rice, to fish, to hunt, uh, regardless of whether they own the territories or not. And there was no... Um, there was no consultation uh, with the tribes around the construction of this pipeline. And there's been several uh, really devastating oil spills over the years in 91 and also in 2010 from the Line 3 pipeline, uh, which has really impacted ind indigenous communities. And so the replacement of that old uh, pipe that's not being repaired nor cleaned away is a real threat to the environment. And the construction of this new uh, corridor is also a very um, devastating um, devastating project because it would release a lot of carbon in the atmosphere. And again, there is no consideration whatsoever of the indigenous um, collective will there. Well, I think a lot of people would, would think that Canada has a a more nation-to-nation -nation relationship with the First Nations people there. But they, you said they, they did not get consulted about this project. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's that's correct. Mm -hmm. So am I to understand that the line is finished to the border with Minnesota? Or where is this at? What parts have been completed? Oh, what parts have been completed? Um, so there is the part that's been completed um, is the one that's uh, around Minnesota, in my understanding. Um, the the replacement uh, part is within the Minnesota territory. The the parts that are outside of Minnesota are um, are going to be remaining the same. And what is what is the endpoint of this of this line going to be if it's completed? That it cannot be called. Goodbye. Keep going. Okay, Astrid, I was wondering what is the endpoint of this line that would move the tar sands if it's completed? Did we lose Astrid too? We may have no, there she goes. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yep. Okay, Astrid, <laughs> did you hear my question? I don't know if yes, you did. I'm here. Okay. I, I didn't. I was wondering what is the endpoint of the line? If it is completed. Oh, uh, the endpoint. Uh, you mean like the the geographical endpoint? Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, so it's going into uh, states further south of Minnesota. Um, I know that the pipeline itself is uh, like thousands of miles long, and um, it. I mean, it's bringing oil to um, to states beyond Minnesota. Um, Will it go to yeah, refineries? Um, oh, yes, it's refineries. I'm sorry. Yes, so the tarson is being pumped into the pipes to refineries in uh, in other states uh, down the line. And there is already some oil structure, pipeline structure, around the Great Lakes region already, is there? Yes, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, because the line is already constructed, it's already it's already functioning, and so all the infrastructures are there. It's just that the replacement pipeline is just uh, taking the role of the existing pipeline that has uh, that has um, issues on it. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what the plans are to try and stop this this line three? What's the idea here? Yeah. 
So the idea here is uh, to use different strategies so that um, Enbridge, um, Enbridge stops the construction of that new line and takes care of the old line that's uh, deficient. The indigenous leaders have uh, really, mm, um, how can I say, have really have proposed three ways to uh, resist the, this construction. The first one is for people to show up directly in Minnesota and get uh, in the way of the pipeline because the construction started earlier than expected um, earlier this year. Although the survey of sacred sites, uh, indigenous sacred sites, was not finished, and so there is a there is an urgency there for people to show up and get in the way. Uh, the second way that indigenous uh, leaders are hoping to slow down and stop the construction of the pipeline is by appealing to the Biden administration. So if people have been writing uh, letters to the administration and the indigenous leaders have been hoping to get in touch with the administration itself and really put pressure on the administration so that they could uh, interrupt this construction like they did with the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, for example, uh, just earlier that month on the 8th, um, 350 organizations wrote uh, letters to the Biden administration to ask them to revoke the permit for this construction. And these 350 organizations represent a total of 10 million supporters. So there is immense support against uh, that pipeline. And then the third way that uh, indigenous leaders are hoping for people to stand up is by defunding the banks that are um, that are funding uh, Enbridge, and that includes Wells Fargo, Chase, U.S. Bank. Um, in the end, the money is what makes a huge difference, uh, clearly. And so the indigenous leaders are hoping for people to especially uh, withdraw their funds by me uh, March 31st, which is the date at which Enbridge will be meeting with its, its sponsors. Um, to renew the to renew the deals that they have with these banks um, to to receive uh, money from them. So what will be how will the I'm sure that people are thinking about the Dakota Access Pipeline, which ended up being quite uh, a large affair. I mean, thousands and thousands of people went to yeah. to stop that pipeline. There were huge camps and hundreds and hundreds of arrests. And I'm yeah. curious, what the, is, are you picturing a similar scenario this time in comparison to that? Yes, so we're really hoping so. I mean, there is a, a bigger and bigger mobilization among the activist uh, groups, and we're really hoping that um, the resistance will grow to a point that it will resemble uh, Standing Rock, which I'm sure you're familiar with and others are as well, uh, when 11,000 people showed up at Standing Rock to ask for the pipeline to be stopped. Um, and so that's really the point. Right now we're trying to build resistance, to build a movement, and um, to build capacity and have more and more stand up in the way of the pipeline. Right now, at the moment, um, there were there has been over 200 people that have gotten arrested already, and the numbers are growing. With the spring coming and the snow melting, we're hoping that more and more activists will feel drawn to go up there and standing stand in the way and help with the building of the camps. Well, I'm sure that many people are thinking how this will work in the time of COVID, 
Yes. With someone mm-hmm. keeping close, and what kind of precautions can you take to have a large camps dedicated to civil dis- peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience in the time of social distancing? And, and I'm wondering how, what strategies you your groups are adapting, are adopting to to deal with that. Yeah. So yeah, we take COVID very seriously um, as a as a movement. Um, the camps themselves are currently COVID free, and people operate within the camps as COVID bubbles, which means that meals are taken separately. People sit with their own um, COVID pod and remove their masks only when they're in the presence of their pod only. Uh, everyone in the camps wear masks. And if anyone is developing symptoms, they are sent on the same day to uh, um, to a clinic to get tested. Um, there was a suspicion with one activist uh, from one of our groups earlier in February, and that person was sent right away to a clinic and was isolated and left the camp to make sure that there was no outbreak. In terms of pods that are traveling up to uh, the camps, we are tra- we are quarantining. Uh, for two weeks before leaving, and then we are also getting tested three days before leaving. And uh, as we arrive to the camps, we are asked to show proof that our tests taken within three days of departure were negative. And so everyone is really, really careful because we do not want any outbreak, and there has been none so far in the camps. Yes, you don't want to end up being a super spreader event. So oh, say I, again? we don't want, yes, I was just commenting on the importance of not letting COVID be spread in these camps. Exactly. Yeah, for the safety of everyone, both of the activists that are coming up there and also the people who live long term within the camps themselves. So how many camps are set up and how many people are there so far? Uh, so there are four camps so far. Um the there is a, the Namiwa camp in Park Rapids. There is also the Migizi camp in Fond du Lac, and the last camp is the Water Protector camp in Palisades. Um, I'm sorry, did I say four? Uh, yeah, so there is. I, I talked about Namiwa Water Protector Welcome Camp Migizi, and then the latest one is the Red Lake Treaty Camp in Roxbury Township. The size of the camps varies. Um, I heard uh, that uh, the camps usually uh, host about 30 people. The Red Lake Treaty Camp is the newest one. I'm not sure how many people they have there, um, but usually the size of the camps is um, yeah between like 20 and uh, 50 people, depending on whether other groups are coming. For example, our group is 15 people, so. If we go to a camp that's a, the size of 30 people, it's a, almost a, it's a 50% like increase of the camp. So a camp with a visiting group would be up to the size of like 50 people, for example. I'm going to check with Rich for a second. Rich, no, do not have Maureen. Rich is still desperately okay. trying. To, I know Maureen Cass was was going to, and we our other guests, and Rich is struggling to keep her, get her on the line here. Uh, she had just been out there. And would it would be able to give us a more complete report? And Astrid, I really appreciate your soldiering on here because we thought you would have company tonight, and you're obviously uh, 
having to carry the weight of it. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, of course. Yes. We, we, well, he's still trying to get her. Hopefully we'll get a live report, and we'll see about that. Astrid, I'm curious, yeah. a personal question for you mm -hmm. uh, as to your own yeah. involvement. How is it that you came to be involved in the struggle with this issue? Mm. Mm. So I, uh, in terms of my positionality, I am an immigrant in the United States. I am white identifying. I grew up in Paris, in France, and in Tahiti on a Pacific island where I saw how uh, colonization and how the lack of understanding of how colonization and um, the so-called, I mean, what's called in the States as the white supremacist um, structures of society, which are different in my country, clearly because uh, colonization is French in Tahiti. Um, but seeing the impact of, um, of oppressive systems on communities of color in particular and especially native communities here in the states uh, it's been devastating just to 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 feel at an emotional level um how how some people just don't have a voice and the reason why climate change and the climate emergency is here is because some people in our world just don't have as much as much as much of a say and so some groups that have uh, more power feel that it's okay to use these communities' land and to use these communities' work force and uh, and bodies to 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 gain to gain wealth and to gain more power. And so I see a very intrinsic link between the climate emergency that we're in and the worldview that some groups deserve and are more powerful than other groups. And so to me, Line 3 is a really, really good example of where the intersection of these two movements, the movement for racial reparations and the movement for climate justice, really meets. Um, I am very committed to, um, to making this movement a bigger one because there, needs, there's no, there will be no climate justice without social justice and racial justice. And the link between the both issues is not always obvious to external observers. But in my heart, at least, it's very, it's very, it's very deep. It runs deep, and so for this pipeline, this pipeline is a, is more than just a pipeline. It's also a symbol. It's a symbol of how, again, like white supremacy has taken over both the states and other parts of the world. And by making, by, by putting this issue forefront, and by really giving voice to indigenous communities. There, there's just so much awareness that they can come out of of of, of that 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 whole issue uh, for people who are on the outside and like wondering where they can get involved. Uh, to me, this this issue is particularly important because of that intersection and um, and just my just yeah what it means for for our future. Um, I'm 25 and I am wondering if I'm going to have children in the future because climate, climate change is just such an issue. So for me, it's very, it's very personal in these ways. Well, yes, thank you, for, thank you for fleshing it out. That's why, we started, that's why I started the show tonight with Stolen Land from Bruce Coburn. It really, I'm curious also, you talked about the racial justice issue, which is, of course, very pertinent. And one of the things that is so fascinating about this is that 
if if this does not stop, if there's not racial justice and there's not environmental justice, then we are quite possibly going to follow everybody's nest. If this if the climate crisis mm -hmm. continues to accelerate, you know they're not the climate crisis doesn't care about your race or your your skin color. It's going to get everybody. <laughs> so. Yeah. The intersectionality of racial justice and just human justice is very pertinent here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for your passion on that. Also, how how is it working? Let's go back to practical, just brass tacks. Okay. How are things working in the camps? How are people getting fed and supported and taken to places that they need to be? What's the infrastructure mm -hmm. with that? So from what I've heard since we're leaving in just three weeks, um, I haven't been there, but from what I heard, uh, activists are camping. There are some camps that have infrastructures Hello. that are more put in place, like Namewa Camp in Park Rapids Hi. and Nibizi, uh in Saint du Lac. Um, right now, people are Hi. mostly camping uh, for the visiting groups. And uh, food is being uh, offered really kindly by me? people in camps. Um, they're receiving funds and uh, purchasing foods. Visiting groups are really encouraged to bring food, of course, to, to sustain the camps. Um, as for transporta transportation, um, the camps are accessible by car. There is There are issues with muds. Um, just mud on the ground because the snow is melting and so people go around in cars Red. that are that can go Red. in like such terrain and um and yeah the camps are still in construction and so we're really hoping that more people come and help build uh build infrastructures one of our uh, friends group is uh currently trying to look at yurts and so funds are needed to bring up um yeah again like infrastructures like yurts and also skilled builders are really encouraged to go up there and support with building more solid um infrastructures for when more people are going to come over the summer um, astrid but yeah i'm gonna yeah. let you i'm gonna let you take a break for a second i'm told we now have marine cats online marine are you with us I am. Thank you so oh, much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for your patience and getting getting with us here. Um, Astrid, Absolutely. I, I was just asking Astrid more specific details about how the camps are working. What is the infrastructure? How are people being fed, transported to the sites they need to be at to engage in their civil disobedience? But I understand you are just back from there. I am, and Astrid is an amazing organizer. So, hi, Astrid. Sorry, I didn't get to hear what you were saying, but... Well, yes, she's been she's been absolutely wonderful, and we would like to get a yep. boots on the ground report if you don't mind. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely. So, what can I what can I tell you? Well, you want I me was, to tell you about what's going on at the camps. Yes, I was asking her how people are being fed, transported there. How how does the infrastructure work to keep the camps supported? Great. It's actually quite extraordinary. Let me just say. Uh, let me just start uh, start by saying that um, that the we are all doing this right because for the water and for the native rights and for the land and for the future. And it is so extraordinary what the people on the ground are doing there. And they want people to go and they want people to go in responsible ways and to be able to help because they're exhausted in and doing exhaustive work. So there are several camps. Security is very much an issue. 
and which is why if people are going to go, they have to be very conscious about what they're stepping into and, and very respectful of what the indigenous uh, groups and leaders are doing um, there to protect the water for all of us. Um, the camps um, are organized in such a way as they, they feed. They have incredible cooks. I was at two of the camps, and the two cooks who then work with volunteers that come um, to feed anywhere between, you know, 10 people or 100 people, depending on if there's an event happening, or I was there when 70 people were arrested after the Grand Rapids um, protest of the 30-year anniversary of the worst spill from the old Line 3. And they were walking on the road, and 70 people were arrested. I don't know if you know about this. This was two weeks ago. So 70 people were arrested on the 30th anniversary in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, for walking on the street. was walking in a public walkway was what they got arrested for. But this is the kind of, like, state violence and police repression that are happening. So I showed up at the camp, the water protectors camp, when they were doing a healing ceremony for the people who had been arrested and also um, acknowledging that. And the the cook there, who has cooked on many, in many pipeline struggles over the last 10 years, um, whipped up the most extraordinary meal for these 70 people. And um, it's... Uh, I can go on and on about it because it isn't just incredible food, but they also have vegan and vegetarian. <laughs> and, um, it's kind of amazing. And people chip in and, you know, they, 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 they um, help in the, in the tent. It's all COVID safe. So there's only three people in the kitchen, in the, in the cooking tent or in the cooking structure at the other camp. And then people chip in to do, you know, they, to do the work of washing the dishes and doing the serving of the food. And so it's all done collectively. And uh, people can either bring food that they want you to bring to contribute to their stores or, um, you know, donate money uh, to help support the feeding. But they serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three meals a day. And it's quite extraordinary. So So, um, that's how the food has gone. Yeah. So how many people have been arrested so far? You mentioned 70. No, so that was just, that was, oh yeah, that was just 70 in one day for walking on the street. People didn't actually think they were doing an arrestable action walking on a march, but um, I think there's now over 300 uh, people have been arrested, and um, there is a movement to have all of the um, charges dropped um, for all of the offenses. But there's been, um, I think, over 300 people that have been arrested for doing different civil disobedience or walking on the street in the march. So, so, and and the type of types of things people are doing, if if you want to know, are things from the other types of things they're doing is trying to block the pipeline from being built so tie you know if you go on to line three uh resistance or the GNU collective g-i-n-i-w um, that's, and as in nancy so the GNU collective or resist line three their instagram or their facebook i don't do facebook but um i understand there's a facebook um or their or their website you will see uh videos of their actions. The Instagram feed actually, which I bet is also the Facebook feed, reviews every week all the actions that have been done. And it is exhaustive what people are doing. Day after day, they're going out in um, freezing uh, temperatures. You know, it's starting to get a little bit warmer now, um, but people are going out at 15 degrees, you know, um, at and, and tying themselves, locking themselves to pumping stations or equipment or the pipeline to try to get uh, Enbridge to stop um, you know, building the pipeline. So, has there been has there been lockdowns to these things? There have been a lot of lockdowns. Yeah, 
Um, so uh, they just this last week they locked down it at the pumping station um, because a lot of the pipe has already been welded and put together. The trenches have been dug, the trees have been uh, uh, destroyed and, and dug up. And um, what has not happened yet is the um, the pipeline has to be uh, built underneath the rivers, and they can't do that until the rivers thaw. And so part of the motivation to get people out there right away um, is to uh, try to stop this from happening before they dig underneath the Mississippi and the rivers that are, are frozen. Which rivers Which rivers will this pipeline pass underneath? Um, so, well, the river, I was, I was by the Mississippi. So <clears throat> the, the variety of rivers, the headwaters, that whole area of northern Minnesota are the headwaters of the Mississippi. And um, it's also going under the one of the Great Lakes, right, which are a fifth of the world's fresh water. And this is what uh, Pipeline 3 is going underneath. And I, I don't know what you did on your intro, but I, uh, your listeners may know that uh, the old Pipeline 3 isn't being replaced. It's being abandoned. And that there were over 700 spills um, on that pipeline, and they're called incidents. But the largest ones were huge, hundreds and hundreds of, of barrels of oil of the of the worst thickest nastiest tar sands oil coming from canada right from the fields in canada they can't even be used in the united states this is and, and these spills the the pipeline is no longer serviceable because of all of the spills so they just said we're leaving this we're going to build a replacement and they call this replacement line three but it's obviously not a replacement it's a new pipeline and they are not cleaning up the old pipeline it's unclear what's going to happen to that old pipeline it's just there is that also owned by Enbridge, the old line? Yes, yes. This is all by Enbridge, which is a Canadian con- company. Yeah. So what? But Enbridge of- doesn't just Enbridge doesn't just own the pipeline. I want to be clear. Enbridge also is paying the sheriff and police in northern Minnesota in these Anishinaabe lands. <coughs> Excuse me. In these tribal lands, um, they are paying for overtime. Um, some are outright gifts. There was an outright gift of $30,000, but they're also paying the police and sheriff's departments. So outside of the camp that we were coming from, going and coming from every day, peacefully, um, towards, you know, and meeting and talking about doing a nonviolent civil disobedience, we had three sheriff's cars at all times, 24 hours a day, sitting outside, privately owned land, waiting to harass us, driving to and from the camp. And I happened to be renting a car that had Minnesota plates that was a late model car, and I was left alone. But I was followed. And once uh, the sheriff was trying to follow somebody else and almost rammed me, and I had to pull my car into the opposite lane because he didn't see that I was driving behind these other two cars. But the level of harassment is enormous. Wow. We had, a lot of, we had a lot of snow melting, and cars were getting stuck in the mud at the camp. Again, privately owned land. And um, so we, we hired, we bought a, a truck load of gravel to put on the driveway in the camp and the gravel truck owner pulled up to the camp to the driveway and the sheriff pulled up and said you cannot put gravel here and the gravel driver wasn't going to fight with the sheriff so he went back i mean they gave us back our money but so we never could gravel this private driveway that's the kind of harassment that's going on every day 24 hours a day it's, it's just extraordinary how is the uh general public in minnesota in these areas in terms of their orientation to this resistance of the protectors? So that's a fantastic question. Enbridge has has 
uh, realize they do not want another standing rock. They don't want 11,000 people facing off against the U.S. military saying you can't do this. So what they've done is they've been building along 300 miles or more along many, many different locations at once rather than one location of the pipeline. And they have paid off people all along the way. They've even given um, members of some of the tribes um, money and stipends, saying that they them stipends for the whole time that the pipeline is being built. And so they're trying to do uh, to sow um, dissent intra-tribally as well, which is, of course, heartbreaking. Um, but Enbridge is, is quite wily, I would say devilish, um, but I'm not a religious person. Um, and they have, uh, you hear ads on the radio the whole time about how wonderful it is. This is bringing jobs to Minnesota. This is going to create 30,000 jobs, this many jobs. And um, so, uh, in fact, the, you know, it's, it's a hostile population as well in these areas to the indigenous people and what they're trying to um, preserve for all of us. It's, um, it's quite a scene. So some people are supportive. Many, many are supportive of Enbridge because they think it's bringing jobs. So the idea, you know, that the slogan mm. is build back fossil free. The idea is we, we're saying, of course, there'll be many more jobs that could be fossil free and clean up, you know, and be sustainable jobs. I would imagine but, there's... Um, I imagine there's not a, a public rate relations benefit for that particular message, though. Um, you know, that's a much harder message to get out because uh, there isn't a lot of money that's being given out with that message, right? Right, exactly. Whereas Enbridge is very busy, yeah. yeah. Yes, we, we've seen this, a very similar tactics here on the North Coast as we defended our forests over the years all along the Pacific Northwest. The jobs, yeah. jobs, and the environmentalists just want your jobs. They don't right. care about your jobs or your living. We do, we do. It's a very common right. tactic. And what you say about trickling a little bit of money into the tribal communities, that's, of course, you do that in a community with poverty, and that is just heartbreaking what that does. It is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. That's right. No, I think that's right. And I think so. It's just people coming. You have conversations. You try to have conversations. You, um, you know, there's also the campaign we're doing now in, in Northern California um, about uh, stop the money pipeline, you know, before March 31st to say to Chase and U.S. Bank and um, Wells Fargo, you cannot, do not give leases, do not lend money to Enbridge to do this project. Um, that's really important about stopping the money. Well, I'm very curious about that because we have some of those banks here in Mendocino County. They have branches here. Uh, what, yeah. is, what, is, what is going to happen? And what, what was the date again? March 31st is the date they sign off on um, renewing the loans to Enbridge. So there's a very big campaign. People can go to Stop the Money Pipeline. Um, if you uh, Google that, it's like on .org or on your search engine, um, Stop the Money Pipeline. And there's a whole list of how to get involved. At absolutely in Mendocino. It would be a fantastic thing. We did this, a walk of shame on Friday, and we had 100 people with banners, and we went from bank to bank in downtown San Francisco, very large and diverse crowd, singing and chanting and saying, you know, stop Pipeline 3, stop destroying the earth. Protect, you know, protect uh, tribal rights, honor trees, and honor the earth. Well, <coughs> well, Maureen, I would like to just take a moment to reintroduce the show. This is Maureen Katz from the East, from East Point Peace Academy, who's just been out to... <coughs> to protest the Line 3, which is trying to bring tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada, into markets uh, south into the United States. And I'm quite honestly, I have a not-so-hidden agenda doing this show, 
here in Mendocino County, we have a long history of civil disobedience. We've stood up for our forests over the years. A number of times people have gone to anti-nuclear things over all over the country. And we were very, a number of people here were very much important in stopping WTO in Seattle when they shut down Thank Seattle. Thank you for all of that. Thank yeah. you for all of that. Such a central work. Right? If we're so I'm certainly, I'm certainly hoping that some people with that, those kind of chops are listening tonight and thinking, hmm, maybe I want, maybe I want to jump in here. So, and, and, you know, I would, say, I would say something about that, too, which is that when I went, I went to do support. I went to be a medic because uh, I'm a doc. And I was not arrestable at the request of my family. Um, and yet when I got there, I realized, of course, I had to be an arrestable. I mean, I, I think that people, it, the situation there is such that you just realize this is life and death for all of us and it is absolutely to put if you can't be arrested um you know for covid or other reasons uh, you have to protect yourself and those around you you can go and you you can support the camps you can help do the cooking you can help do the dishes you can help build there are things to be done um also in any uh, civil disobedience action as i bet your audience knows who's listening there are many support roles like jail support and legal support but they're really, it, 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 when you're there, it calls to you and you realize it's not such a scary thing to go and put yourself there and say, this cannot happen. You know, you have to stop doing this. There has to be some stopping to the madness, you know. Yes, well, there's certainly many people in our listening audience who understand what you just said from personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. And well, all of the movements that you said, again, thank you. That's absolutely right. Like, why we didn't come to the nuclear brink, right? Or why we stepped back brink uh you know of nuclear war and um, certainly wto which started a, a huge right um movement to say that that uh global poverty and and environmental destruction and injustice just can't stand so it's it, these these struggles take a long time and we don't necessarily win the first time but you have to keep fighting and i think this is one we can win i think of enough people get involved, whether it's in stopping their banks from supporting it by money or whether it's, you know, going to line three and saying, you know, supporting the camps and being involved in that struggle. They really want people to come. They want the more people that will come, the more it will say this cannot happen. You know, Jane Fonda went last week, you may have seen, and she was stopped her car, which was being driven by, I think it was, you know, somebody who's involved with the Minnesota Legal Fund and legal representative. Um, supporting the, the fight they were pulled over by one of the sheriffs and i don't think the sheriff knew that jane fonda was in the car and so the whole thing was being filmed we always had the person riding shotgun film us because we knew we were going to be stopped mm. and it was always an illegal harassment and they said um why are you stopping it and the sheriff said this also is online if you look at the resist line three um you can get this all on youtube and on as i said on facebook or instagram and what what um the sheriff said, or the deputy said, is, um, well, your blinker was on for 50 feet before you changed lanes, and we thought you might want to know that. Something like that. I mean, it's, <laughs> the level of harassment is so extraordinary. I don't, I don't think that she knew that this was about to go viral. But um, <laughs> it happens to everybody. <laughs> so. so I want to step back for just a second here. And, uh, of course, there are many people who are not going to jump in their cars and go to Minnesota. So what can people do? I'm sure you're talking about having a campaign pressuring the Biden administration. You mentioned that a little while ago. What else can people do besides jump in and run off to Minneapolis? 
Yeah, great question. I think absolutely the Stop the Money Pipeline campaign is going on all all across the United States, and people take a look at that and get involved in that campaign. You can do that everywhere where you live. People can be involved in that. Um, you can, of course, donate to the different organizations that are involved in stopping the pipeline. Uh, one is Honor the Earth, um, and they are doing an enormous amount of work for the pipeline. Um, that's the one. I'm with an organization called the Thousand Grandmothers for Future Generations, and we did a GoFundMe for Honor the Earth. And they then direct the money to what they feel is appropriate in the pipeline struggle. They um, are—they've had the oldest camp, which is the water protect, the welcome water protectors camp. Um, there are healing camps, so you can contribute monetarily. But I think really the support, the political support, is super important. I think writing your congressman, always writing our senators, um, writing the Biden administration. I mean, Deborah Halland is amazing. They need to know. Especially as Enbridge is, is saying, no, no, people aren't supporting this. You know, we're Can she do something? Energy. Can Deborah Holland do something about this? We certainly hope she will. The Biden administration is saying right and left that they're for climate change. You know, they're for climate. Uh, they want to uh, prevent climate change, right? And therefore, they don't say climate justice. I can't remember what their words are. But that they're for, you know, uh, ending fossil fuels. So why are we allowing the destruction of native lands where they use it for both um, you know, for all of the wild rice, which is both eaten and also used in sacred rituals, the monomen. I hope I got that right, monomen. Um, and why are we building something that is going to be obsolete? Peak fuel is in, what, 2024? That's not going to even be able to be used in the United States? This gets, goes all the way down through the Delta, through Louisiana, and it gets exported then because you're not allowed to use the tar sands fuel in the United States. So why are we allowing them to do this? Enbridge is to destroy these lands. It's not going to get cleaned up it, and, and destroy our water supply. What, I, it, it doesn't even make any sense, but for the $7 billion that Enbridge has invested in it. So to write Biden to say, stop this. This is madness. And yes, to write Deb Havlinch. They need all of the visual support to say, look, we have all these people in Mendocino. They don't want this to happen, you know? So that's that's the democratic process, right? We have to believe in it. So you mentioned Honor the Earth being a very strong point organization in this. I would like to tell you and our listeners that actually when I wanted to do this show, that was where I started. I contacted Honor the Earth. Originally they said, oh, one, the one piece of, we'll see if we get you with Nolan LaDuke, which of course lit me up quite a bit. I thought, oh my gosh, I get with Nolan LaDuke on. But it turns out they said, well, we have so many media requests, we don't know if we can accommodate you. So, well, let me say, it's, that's yeah, no, actually, actually, she's amazing. And I met her and we tapped some trees together, quite a lot of trees, actually, for the beginning of the, um, the uh, syrup from the maple trees along the um, Mississippi, which was very fun and is also, you know, an indigenous uh, practice. And... Um, they today this morning they had a the hearing for the appeals of one of the last legal um avenues um so in minnesota at the state the court of appeals about why um this should not go forward so they have been quite busy today um she is very busy between uh, she doesn't get to tap trees very much i have to tell you conferences and her own legal actions i mean she's been arrested multiple times as has um the other indigenous women leaders one of the things about the struggle is 
that the indigenous women are leading the struggle. It's fantastic. So at all of the camps, they're all run. I mean, the GNU Collective is a collective, but for instance, the GNU Collective, if you look online and, and Google them or search engine them, sorry, bad practice, um, if you if you do a search of them, what you'll see is they are an indigenous women and two-spirited-led collective. And um, it's a fantastic group of indigenous leaders who have um, a whole way about being in the world and trying to heal the world and um, and stop, you know, these sort of travesties from happening. So well, this well, is where environmental justice, <clears throat> right, is... One of the things I noticed, my, this is a personal observation from from Standing Rock, what happened with Dapple. And I think that very often these struggles, they lead to social connectivity that travels underneath the radar, but it's still a huge healing. I'll back up my example would be at Standing Rock, how the tribes resurrected the elders' councils in the camps to make the decisions. And that had, been, that had been something that, because of colonialization, they had they lost them, and they were resurrected at this time, this tribal way of doing things. And yeah, that's a fanta fantastic example. It's beautiful, yeah? Yes, and it, it sounds course, like you were noticing this there, too, also. Oh, absolutely. The indigenous, this healing, the, cultural uh, healing. Absolutely, and the indigenous elders are extremely important in these communities. And, of course, as you uh, probably know, the Native American communities have been hit unbelievably hard by COVID. And a generation of indigenous leaders, elders, have been killed, have been COVID. So um, it's... Maureen? Did we lose a wretch? Like we might have. Uh, let's try Astra and see if we can, uh, Astrid and see if we can get her back. Go ahead, Doctor. Okay. Astrid, do we have you now again? I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. I'm sorry. We lost Maureen for some reason. Rich is working on that. I uh, don't know. I can hear oh. you, but you can't oh, hear me. Oh, they're both here. There we go. Now everybody. Yeah. Oh, we, we have you. Maureen, you were, we were talking about the cultural healing that you observed in the camps and that has been a hallmark of, of protector camps and, the, and that already happened here. Yeah. So that's if you right. have more thoughts about that, and then we'll get to Astrid. Go ahead. Oh no, that's that's all I was going to say. That there is there there all of the camps have healing as part of you know and spirituality, you know the indigenous spirituality as part of of what the work is healing the earth and healing yourself. You know they're very clear. Don't come to camp because you're wounded. You know come to camp because you want to stand with the water protectors. You know and aid in the fight. There's a great sign outside of one of the camps which says this is not ecotourism. You know, mm. everybody has to has to jump in. <laughs> yes, Astrid, have you been able to hear Maureen as she talked for a while here? So I was able to tune into, uh, yeah, tune into some of what she was saying from being on the web. Uh, I missed some parts, um, but I heard most of it. Good. Please, I would like you to talk with, talk about how people are forming affinity groups to possibly go to Minnesota and how they get more information on that and resources and to tie into the greater collective of this movement. Mm. Um, 
just to make sure I understood you while well, you're asking me if uh, how people are coming into affinity groups and how other people who are not yet in affinity groups can plug in, right? Yes, how can, can that work together to be more yeah. effective? Yeah, so, so for people who, like, who have expressed interest in traveling so far, um, we've been in direct discussion with them. Um, if anyone wanted to plug into our groups, um, they could email info at eastpointpeace.org. Uh, our email address is also on our website, eastpointpeace.org. Um, right now, what I want to mostly emphasize is that this is a movement of relationships, and Maureen was just talking about the healing work that's happening through this resistance uh, work, and healing happens, again, like in interpersonal, interpersonal um, relationships. And so the most important, I would say, for uh, people who want to get involved is to really get in touch with people who are going to the line three already, who have gone. Um, right now, at East Point, we have two groups that are self-organizing. One is uh, leaving on April 10th for one or two weeks, depending on who we're talking about. Our second group is leaving on May 17th for two weeks, so May 17th to 28th. And um, we are mainly self-organized. Um, there is a really interesting principle that comes from observing nature, that smaller groups are faster, more efficient at organizing, and also able to go deeper in relationship with each other. So for people who want to get involved, I really encourage reaching out to other people they already know and have a strong uh, relationship of trust with and see if they want to travel together. Um, at East Point, we're really committed to helping everyone to go up there, especially uh, people of color, so black indigenous people of color. And so if some, uh, if some, if some black indigenous people of color are hearing this and uh, are facing any financial or material obstacles, um, I want them to know that the Yet to Be Named Network is committed to uh, moving reparation funds and uh, bringing the financial financial support that's needed for activists of color to go up to line three. Um, if some people are willing to go in June, we're also uh, willing and really happy to help with, uh, you know, connecting people with uh, those who are already on the ground so that they can make the trip and really move within an ecosystem of relationships that's strong and built on trust and uh, mutual recognition. Something that's important in um, in um, native uh, cultures is relationship again and trust, and so it's really important to show up there as um, as member of a bigger system and network, um, so that if rupture happens, the healing is faster. Um, it's much it's much uh, harder to heal ruptures between people who have no prior connection. Astrid, I'm going to ask you to make just to take a minute or so to make a final comment. We're almost ready to close out the show. Oh, so final comment. Okay, Maureen, are um, you with us still? I am. Um, any closing comments you would like to make for our listening audience tonight? And we're going to go on a final song soon. Uh, just to thank you very much, to thank your listeners. I hope you all will get involved one way or another. Your work here is, a, is absolutely as important as if you were going to Minnesota. Everybody has a role to play in this fight, and it's all our fight. Well, so thank I, you. I thank you both very much for being with us. I hope that you, you help to stir some 
affinity groups from here in Mendocino County. Appreciate you being with us tonight. Rich, we have our song ready to go. Uh, we're going to play Jim Page, didn't we, about the WTO in Seattle. Thank you for being with us. This is Ben KZYX. This is Chris Skyhawk, Ecology Hour. And the CEOs and the bottom line is the profit grows The money talks, you don't talk back They don't like it when you act like that But didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99 It was a Tuesday morning when we drew the line It was a WT Coming to town and we swore we gonna shut it down And they stood there with their big police They had the National Guard out to keep the peace With the guns and the clubs and the chemical gas But still we would not let them pass And they raged and roared and their tempers flared And there were bombs bursting in the daylight air And they'd run us off and do us in But we came right back Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99 Millennium passing as the numbers climb And the people came from everywhere There must have been 50,000 out there There were farmers, unions, rank and file Every grassroots has its own style There were great big Two stories tall There were drummers Drumming in the shopping malls There were so many people That you couldn't see How that many people Got into the city And the WTO delegates too But we were locked down So they couldn't get through Yeah, didn't we? Shut it down Didn't we? November 30th 99 lockdown at the police line and they hitting you with everything they got for you ain't moving like it or not and they're tying your wrists with plastic cuffs and they're loading you up on a great big bus and they're taking you down to the navy base pepper spraying you right in the face try to break you down try to get you to kneel for you got the unity and this is for real and they can't break a spirit that's coming alive that's the kind of spirit that's bound to survive it, yeah, didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we?
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. You know the newspapers talking out a whole lot of trash about the violence of the people in black and how the cops are so tired they just have.